Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. Joshua chapter 9 this evening. But before we get into it, you know, I love living in a small town. Uh, Living in the country, if you will. And that was a big change for me because I was raised in the city. And I was telling my mom the other day that 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 might be a little loud. And I'm going to, you got a minute to work on it before we get into the slides. I was telling my mom the other day, it's interesting how me and Both my brothers, all three of us, live in small towns that are the spitting image of each other. I mean, very comparable in size, culture, and and what have you. But we do. And now, two of my three children live in small towns. You know, Jeremy, Dalhart, Texas. uh, Maybe a bit bigger compared to Mayo. uh, Matt in, in Lodi, Wisconsin. And I thought it humorous. The other day when Matt called me, that's a small town culture I'm talking about here. He called me as, as it was getting dark. He said, Dad, and he's on speakerphone with Sharon and I. And he says, Dad, he says, I only have like 5% left on my phone. And Carter and I, that's his son, our grandson, he says, we're stuck in the mud. I said, why? He said, well, we're out turkey hunting and time to go home and, and we're stuck. He said, I've been trying to get a hold of Christy, his wife. And he says, I can't get her. He said, I don't know what the deal. He says, so I'm about to lose my phone. He says, would you call her and tell her, you know, keep calling her until you get her. He says, because my phone's going to die out any minute. Keep calling her until you get her and, and, and tell her that I'm stuck and tell her she needs to come get us. And I said, okay. I said, where are you? This is where the small town comes in. He said, oh, tell her we're down at the dead end road, road down by the spooky house. Why is that humorous? Because if you're in the city, you're on 3rd Street and Enterprise, you know. But I thought, and and I said, she'll know where that is. He said, oh yeah, she knows. Down the dead end, down by the spooky house. And I said, okay, we'll tell her. And and we got a hold of her and we told her. She said, you need to go get Matt. I said, where is he? I said, well, down at the dead end of the road by the spooky house. She said, okay, I'm on my way. But that's a lot of times how we describe things up here, you know, turned by the old barn or whatever. Sometimes we don't know the roads, but that's one of the blessings, one of the charms of living in in small town America. We are blessed. You know, when we went to Myrtle Beach just a couple weeks ago, you know, everywhere we, if you go on vacation, if you go to any place popular, it's crowded. I mean, when we went last summer to Rocky Mountain National Park, they wouldn't even let you in a place we wanted to go. They were stopping everybody. And I said, and they were just turning you around. You just had to make a U-turn right there. And there were these, uh, what, rangers, you know, there. And I said, we can't go up to that lake? And they said, nope. I, I said, is there a reason? It's full. It's full. And, you know, then where we went, Myrtle Beach, that place is crazy. I don't, I don't want to go back there again. It's too crazy. Think about this. In most of our lifetimes... Hasn't the population of this country grown by like almost 100 million? I think since, since I was born, it's grown like by 100 million people. So I have no idea what that was about. I just want to get it off my, <laughs> want to get it off my chest. Well, let's get to something 
that I think will be important to you. You know, our flesh is weak. Satan is the tempter. And the world applies pressure all the time to pull us down. It's so important to be faithful in church because when you come, I'm going to bat for you in a big way. I I love you and I'm human like you and I face the same problems, the same temptations. But I'm going to get my strength from the same place you do. And I'm blessed to be able to be, you know, full-time pastor. So while you're out making a living and doing the stuff you do, I have the privilege of, and this is the way God designed it. And I think it works pretty good. I get to be in God's word all week and preparing uh, like a meal. You know, I want it to be a meal that you enjoy, a meal that will fill you up. And I get the privilege of, of coming and stepping in this pulpit on Sunday and on Wednesday night and, and feeding you. To, to strengthen you, to help you make it, and to bring honor and glory to the Lord. And um, we should count it a privilege that we get to come to Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. We should consider it a privilege to be able to come to God's house on a Wednesday night. Now, I know the Bible doesn't say anything about half church on Wednesday night, but uh, I think that's a good idea. And no harm in it. In fact, I can only think of good things coming from it. For example, tonight. Joshua chapter 9. We're calling this Keeping Your Word. One of the most fascinating stories. Most of you probably know it. Uh, In some cases, it'll be a reminder. But what are we talking about tonight? Well, we live in a culture where more and more it is acceptable to break your word. Particularly if something in your mind better or more convenient comes along. Yes, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do this for you. And I'm going to commit to this. And then somebody else comes along. I got something better. Oh, really? What is it? Well, it's this. Uh, look, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that. Wait, you, you, you said you want. You said you were going to do it. I, you know, we had a handshake on it. Well, it's just not going to work out. And we justify it in our mind. That's not the way we Christians are to live. We're to live counterculture. It doesn't matter that everybody else is doing it. It doesn't matter. We're called on to keep our word. Our society, here's a, here's a great quote, or not necessarily a great quote, but a, an accurate quote. Our society has gotten into the habit of saying we'll do things without any real intention of following through. If it happens, great. If not, no sweat. I'm going to give you a quote from Michael Hyatt. Michael Hyatt ran some big Christian book publishing company. He's now got his own website where he talks about leadership and what have you. But he said this about keeping your word. Michael Hyatt said, when I was growing up, a promise and a handshake were all you needed. Brother Roy McClincher used to talk about that. Any of you that knew him or spent time with him, he was old school. And oftentimes he'd talk about, we used to just shake hands. And I was done. You didn't need any documentation. You didn't need any signatures. You didn't need any, uh, any, anything like that. Any contract. Well, anyway, he says, when I was growing up, A promise and a handshake were all you needed. Contracts were largely foreign and unnecessary. In fact, to insist on one would have been an insult. Why? Because a man's word was his bond. No one was willing to risk their social capital or relational equity by breaking their word. And then he says, my, how times have changed. This issue comes up in this story. One of the things I like about Joshua is it's pretty much a book of stories. It's not like 
the first half of the book of Romans where Paul is laying out doctrine and that's critically important as well and interesting as well. But this is strictly a story. It's, it's a narrative, but it, it's, it's a narrative. It's a story with a message, an important message that I think we need to be reminded of this evening. And not only is it a story, it's a fascinating story, an interesting, a story of deception and then finding people out. Now, how are we going to deal with it? It has all the makings of a great narrative. And for that reason, we're going to read all 27 verses. Normally, I pick out a few to highlight. This story is so fascinating, I don't want us to miss a word. So bear with me as we begin to read it, and we'll comment on it, and then we'll make some points at the end here. So Joshua chapter 9, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. And it came to pass, when all the kings which were on this side, Jordan, and the hills, and in the valleys, and all the coasts of the great sea, over against Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard thereof, that they gathered together, gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. A quick review. You know, the children of Israel finally have crossed over into the promised land, but they've got to take the promised land. They've got to do battle in the promised land. And crossing the River Jordan really isn't a picture of us going to heaven, it's a picture of us getting saved. Because when we get saved, there's all these battles that we still have before us. So they're they're in the promised land, and they've done battles with Jericho, and they had that victory there. They had the initial battle with Ai, which they lost, and then they got things right, and they go back and they have a victory there. Well, the other tribes in this area get word of this, that Israel's here, and they're not taking any prisoners. And these people get together, and they're discussing... What are we going to do? How are we going to deal with the people of Israel? They're not, going to, they're not going to submit to Israel's God. In spite of the fantastic miracles that they're seeing performed, they are so hard that they're going to continue to fight against God's people. So we come to verse number 3. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon, this is another tribe, heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai... Now again, all the other tribes, they're getting together. They're going to unify and they're going to fight against Joshua and Israel. The people from Gibeon, they take a different approach. They did work wilily and went and made as if they had been ambassadors. They take an entirely a deceptive approach. And made as if they had been ambassadors and took, listen to this, old sacks, old Sacks upon their asses, and wine bottles, old, and rent, and bound up, and old shoes. Emphasis on the old, because they're, they're scheming here. And clouded upon their feet, and old garments upon them. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. They said, find us some old, dry, moldy food. These are people that live nearby. These are people that are about to be conquered. But they're putting on all these old clothes. They get this old food. And they went, whoa. They went to Joshua unto the camp at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel. Now here they, they said, give us, give us the oldest clothes you can, 
It's fine. Throw some dirt on it. Rip this one up. Make it look bad. This old food. No, that bread's too new. Give us some old. Oh, yeah, that, that stinks. That would be perfect. And then they take this delegation and they go to find Joshua. And they say, we come from a far country. We're not around with these Hivites, Perizzites, and Amorites and all them. No, no, we're not one of these people around here that you're going to conquer. No, we come from way far away. Oh, look, we've been traveling so long. Look how these have worn out. They're really putting it on here. And they, where am I? Verse number five? Verse number seven. And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, Peradventure ye dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are ye? And from whence come ye? And they said unto him, From a very far country, way far away. I mean, way, way. I mean, we we come a long way, far country. Thy servants are come because of the name of the Lord thy God. For we have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites and were beyond Jordan to Sion king of Heshbon and to Og king of Basham, which was at Ashtaroth. Verse number 11. Wherefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us saying, Take victuals with you for the journey and go to meet them and say unto them, We are your servants. Therefore... Now make a league with us. Joshua is supposed to destroy them. Because they're one of the tribes in the area given to Israel. But they pretend that they're not. They pretend that they're from far away. And they've heard about their God. And they're coming to make a league with them. We are your servants. Therefore now make ye a league or a peace treaty with us. This our... I mean, they poured it on now. This, our bread, we took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, it is dry. It is moldy. He said, we live so far away. This bread right here, when we left, our wives took it fresh out of the oven. And look how moldy it is. You know, see how far we've come? See how long we've been traveling? Oh, we've come from a very, very uh, uh, far away place. Verse number 13. And these bottles of wine, which we filled, were new. And behold, they are rent. They're old. And these, our garments and our shoes, are become old by reason of the very long journey. Oh, Joshua, do you have a place I can sit down? We've been walking for weeks and weeks, maybe months. Oh, we're, I mean, they're just putting on this, this great act. And oh, where am I now? Verse number 15. No, oh, 13. And we did that. 15. And Joshua made, here it is. And Joshua fell for it. He was deceived. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. And it came to pass, now here it is, at the end of three days, after they had made a league or this treaty with them, that they heard they were their neighbors and that they dwelt among them. And this is one of the tribes we're supposed to defeat. We got snookered. 
And I bet you Joshua used that word. I bet you told the men. He said, we, we have been snookered. And the children of Israel journeyed and came into their city. Say, let's go talk to these people. Came into their cities on the third day. They were only three days away, not three months away. Now their cities were Gibeon and Shephira and Beeroth and kirjath And the children of Israel smote them not. Because the princes of the congregation had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. And the congregation wasn't too happy with it. And all the congregation murmured against the princes, the ones that had made this deal. But all the princes said in the congregation, we have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. This we will do unto them. We will even let them live, lest wrath be upon us, because of the oath which we swear unto them. And the princes said unto them, Let them live, but let them be hewers of wood and drawers of water unto all the congregation, as the princes had promised them. Joshua called for them, said, You people get over here, you get over here right now. And he spake unto them, saying, Wherefore? Have ye beguiled us? You, you've tricked us, saying we are very far from you when ye dwell among us. Now therefore ye are cursed, and there shall none of you be freed from being bondmen and hewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. And they answered Joshua and said, Because it was certainly told thy servants how that the Lord thy God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore, we were sore afraid of our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now, behold, we are in thine hand, as it seemeth good and right unto thee to do unto us, do. And so did he unto them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel, and they slew them not. Joshua made them that day hewers of wood, drawers of water for the congregation, and for the altar of the Lord, even unto this day, in the place which he should choose. They got snookered, if you will. And it says back in that passage that they did not inquire of the Lord. They walked by sight. They just looked at the situation, analyzed it themselves, And back in that chapter, it says they did, I'm paraphrasing, but what they said, they didn't pray. They didn't see God's will. Had they, they would have known better. They, somehow God would have revealed it to them that these are people that you were commanded to defeat. But now you have made a pact with them. And the lesson here is that Joshua kept his word. Joshua did not destroy them. Joshua honored the pact. He honored the league. Now, I know what you're thinking because I thought it too. Doesn't the fact that they were deceived mean that the contract, if you will, is null and void? It wasn't the case here. It wasn't the case. Let me read to you what a couple theologians, how they explain that situation because If you study this, and I've studied it at length, it is a debated question. Was Joshua obligated to follow through on this treaty, if you will, 
when it was made through deception. One writer says, notice what they did. They could have become angry at the deception, claimed that the contract was entered into under false pretense, and then wiped out the Gibeonites. Frankly, we would have understood such a decision. However, if they had done this, they would have faced God's judgment. Reproof, this writer says in 2 Samuel 21, Israel endured a three-year famine because Saul put to death sometimes later some of the Gibeonites. And that was a violation of this pact, and God punished Israel for that. Instead, Joshua and the leaders of Israel did not compound their mistake by making another one. That's a pretty good principle. When you make a terrible mistake, don't compound it by doing something else that is wrong. Israel had made a promise to God and integrity demanded that they live with the consequences of their decision. And then one other writer explains at this rate, many contend that as it was obtained by fraud and especially by a representation that the Gibeonites did not belong to the tribes which Joshua was specially commanded to destroy, it was null and void. But the Israelites had sworn by the sacred name of Jehovah to spare the Gibeonites. It would have been to degrade that sacred name and possibly to bring trouble on themselves to break that oath under any pretense whatever. If they had been deceived, listen to this, great mature insight here. If they had been deceived, the fault was their own. The Jehovah by whom they swore had provided them with a ready mode of detecting such deceit. Let me read that again. The Jehovah by whom they had swore had provided them with a ready mode of detecting such deceit had they chosen to use it. But you go back in that chapter and when all of this fraudulent material had been presented, it makes the statement that they chose not to inquire of the Lord. And that was their mistake. So they felt, and I think scripture proves rightly so, that even though this treaty or this pact, this league was made under fraudulent pretenses because they had made an oath before God to make a deal with his people, they felt obligated to keep it. And I was explaining to Sharon that I was struggling with how do you explain this to a congregation and I I read and it made sense to me it would be the equivalent of marrying someone and then finding out that something about this person that you had thought was, was found out to be untrue you're still married you stand at the altar and you you take an oath before God and Then after you're married, a week, two weeks, a month, six years, you find out, what? You lied to me. Well, I understand scripture. You're still married. You're still obligated. I think that's how you think of this pact and this treaty. I do do know this, that God wants us to keep our word. That we do know. And the Bible emphasizes that. In Ecclesiastes 
5, 4. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than thou shouldest vow and not pay. One thing I think we need to take away from this tonight is why the world can lie and, and justify it. We cannot. That's going to make us different. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes it's going to be costly. But that is definitely the lesson of Scripture. In, in the book of Acts, you know this story. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold the possession and kept back part of the price. Said they were going to give it all, but they kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? They said they were going to give it all and they thought they could get by and say, well, this is all of it. And it wasn't. Whilst it remained... Was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? In other words, why are you not keeping your word? Thou hast not lied unto men, although he did, but the greater guilt is unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and greater fear came on all them that heard these things. They died. The lesson there is, I think it's obvious that God wants us to keep our word. It's very important. And I think way too often people these days don't do that. And they'll justify it in a variety of ways in their own mind. But let me, let me bring home the case this afternoon. Because sometimes you may be tempted, you know. Yeah, I put down a down payment on that, but I found a better one over here. And you go, how often on these judge shows, people will put down a down payment and then they'll scheme because they found something they like better and they go back and they sue the other person for the down payment. And the person says, well, the down, I held it for them for three weeks. I had other offers. That, that was the deal. If you're a person of your word, you know, you lose the down payment, right? I mean, that's the, that, the answer is right. <laughs> so, uh, that's the, that's the way it works. But we don't understand why this is so important to the Lord. Look, if it's important to the Lord, He teaches us to keep our word. And we can assume there's good reasons for that. Let me give you three. Three reasons it's important to keep your word. Number one, it tells the other person that you don't value or respect them. When you have given someone your word and you don't follow through, Whatever reason you might have, if they were counting on you to do something or whatever, you gave them, you're, you're going to take somebody somewhere, you're going to pick somebody up, you don't show up, whatever it might be, it tells the other person that you don't value or respect them. You may not say that with your words, but you're more than saying it with your actions. When somebody's counting on you, somebody's depending on you, they got your word and you let them down, you are saying to them, I don't value you, I certainly don't respect you. But number two, it gives the other person reason not to value or respect you. You know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. 
We all have done business with somebody or counted on somebody to do something and they let us down and you never use them again, right? You were depending on that person. I'll be there. I'll have it. It'll be done. You can count on it. It happens all the time. And at the last minute, oh, they've got all the reasons in the world. At the last minute, they dump it back on your lap and you lose respect for them. And you have then reason not to value them. So it tells the other person that you don't value or respect them. It gives the other person a reason not to value or respect you. And number three, it dishonors the name of God and the cause of Christ. It dishonors the name of God and the cause of Christ. And folks, what is... I heard an interesting talk the other day. This was a secular talk. This was not spiritual. And this, I think it was out of Harvard, did this study for 75 years. And the person was making the case that very few studies last that long. Because many times the people starting the study are no longer there as the study progresses and the people you're studying die off. But they did this study about what, what brings happiness. What, what, what brings happiness to most people? And you know what they found out it was? At least according to this secular study. And I think there's a lot to it. They said relationships. People that have good relationships. Now you and I would throw in and there are relationship with the Lord. What, what brought happiness and longer lives to people, according to this, Har- I think it was Harvard, study was they had good relationships. People that they could count on. People that they could depend on. There, there was a security there. there, there there's, there there's a health there. A, a, a social health there. A social well-being there. That's critical. You know, the Bible talks about relationships. You know, love your brother, you know. And love the Lord. So I thought, very interesting. They came to the conclusion that relationships are important. When the Bible talks about the two great commandments, it's about relationships. Okay. Relationships are critical. And it seems as if people today have more problems with relationships. How many families are dysfunctional? How many people are not getting along? How many people do not have... The, the health and well-being of family that's got your back. You know, because I'm not speaking to my brother. I haven't seen my mother in years. My dad's a drunk. You know, and me and my mom had a falling out. Me and my family, I, I hear that all the time. Not so much from people in our church, but people that come in for various reasons. And the problem is relationships. Okay. Breaking our word destroys relationships. Keeping your word builds relationships. Breaking your word is going to kill your relationship with others, and it's going to kill your relationship with God, because he knows you lied. He knows that you did not do the honorable thing. Relationships. I don't know if it's the most important thing with, with happiness. Well, I guess it is when you consider your relationship with the Lord. And then your relationship with others. And those are the two great commandments. There's nothing more heartbreaking, heart-wrenching, anxiety-causing than problems with people. 
I mean, it can physically get you when relationships that ought to be aren't. Well, no wonder if people don't have a problem with, you know, I know I committed to that. I know something, well, they'll get over it. And that's usually, they'll get over it. One of my relatives says it another way. Not my monkey, not my circus. Whatever that means. That's kind of how she says, not my problem. Not my monkey, not my circus. Relationships. Listen to this quote. The strength of our relationships is measured by how much people can count on you. The strength of relationships is measured by how much people can count on you. Think about the strongest relationships you have. They're with people you can count on. People you can't count on, you're not close with them. You're hurt. You're disappointed. Because they have devalued you. They, they have disrespected you. And now you have no respect for them because you counted on them. That's why it's important to keep your word with your spouse. Very important to keep your word. It starts with the vows that you make and then the promise that you made that, yes, this weekend we're going out on a date, just you and me. And then not having something come up. You just hurt that relationship. Keeping your word with your children. But dad, you said we were going to go to the zoo this weekend. Well, relationships. Keeping your word with the people at church. Keeping your word with the people at work. Keeping your word in your business dealings around town. Rather than the mantra, they'll get over it. To a great degree, our relationships are built on trust. And trust is built on keeping your word. Maybe we need that reminder tonight. I love that. Here's another quote by Michael Hyatt. And we're done. This is a fantastic quote. This can be a life-changing quote right here. Yes, keeping your word is sometimes difficult, expensive, and yes, inconvenient. But the cost of not doing so is even more expensive. Is that a fantastic quote or what? That is a fabulous quote. It is true. I gave my word. Something else better has come up, and that sure is tempting. I'd much rather be going there than going with them. So keeping your word is sometimes difficult, expensive, and inconvenient. But the cost of not doing so is even more expensive. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Mayo Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.